fast of You, O Lord, and that we will seek. That we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to meditate in Your temple. Lord, here we come boldly to the throne of grace. Open our eyes and our ears to see the unfathomable beauty of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. You've probably found yourself on a time or two, if you're old enough, in a situation that you uh, did not like, in a situation that seemed like there may even be, in the moment, no way of escape. But whenever you find yourself or have found yourself in a position that's especially bad, and in that kind of predicament and moment, you discover or discern or receive news that is especially good, you experience the glorious power of spontaneous joy. Not the kind of stuff you learn in books, but the kind of thing that overwhelms you and overtakes you. Great joy has the capacity to hijack your thoughts. You can't systematically place your ideas one in front of another when great joy intrudes on very perilous circumstances. Not only are your thoughts hijacked, but your emotions and your personality and your posture and your words and your deeds. It is truly spontaneous joy. The pleasure of receiving good news affects your composure. And some of us have more or less inhibitions than the others of us. That's okay. God made you and He made your personality. Some of you are petrified of public speaking. I was that guy. And now I just say the butterflies still come, but they tend to fly in formation. But we all have different personalities and we all have different inhibitions. But I want you to listen to me. Spontaneous joy on the basis of almost unfathomably good news when you find yourself in a very perilous situation Spontaneous joy has a capacity to incinerate your inhibitions. Your inhibitions go away. If the news is bad enough, and the news is good enough, your inhibitions are incinerated. They melt away like fog in the noonday sun. So if you found yourself today to be in a deeply broken situation, as a deeply broken person, living in a deeply broken place with deeply broken people, and God marched His mighty self right into your living room and stood right in front of your lap and promised you, even guaranteed you, a city that glitters with the gold of Psalm 43's unceasing gladness, how would you respond? It wouldn't be calculated. It wouldn't be measured out and systematic. If the Lord of the universe traveled the greatest possible distance, to rescue you from the greatest possible peril, and to take you out of a perishing world, and at the same time held out to you a cup of Psalm 46's water from the streams that make glad the city of God, then it would quench the thirst of your satisfaction with gladness unspeakable, or as Peter said, full of glory. That's how you would respond. If the Revelation 15, which is why we had Jeff read it, King of the nations, 
promise to place you inside of His perfect kingdom and covenanted with you through His Son's blood to cover you with the 2 Timothy chapter 4 crown of the righteousness of Christ, how would you respond? Today's sermon text tells us the answer and beckons us to obey it. And I invite you to look at it with me in Hebrews chapter 13. One verse long as we're accustomed to do around here. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Hebrews 13, 15. Hear the Word of the living God. Hebrews 13, 15. I'm reading from the New American Standard. And the Lord says, Through Him then, that is through the risen Lord Jesus, through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. That's worth reading a couple more times. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. One more time. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Oh, Father, cause us to obey this verse. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's verse is in a context of a broader, complete thought, but today's verse tells us what the only appropriate vertical response is to the Gospel. The, the terrible predicament that I was imagining for you is actually very, very terrible and worse than any temporal thing that we've endured, though some of us have endured unspeakable evil and horrific suffering and pain. But the real terrible news is that we are, whether it's popular to say it or not in today's culture, so what? We are hell-deserving sinners. Anything that God gives us other than that is unfair. What's fair for us is judgment forever under the eternal wrath of the eternal God that we've offended by our sin. The fact that God did not flick us off the edge of His planet into the lowest corner of the devil's hell for trillions of eternities to suffer His just wrath. Or, the fact that He didn't begin again in some other world, some place far, far away where the people would have honored Him. Instead of doing either one of those things or a trillion other things that the infinitely creative Creator could have done, the fact that He hunted us down in His mercy at great cost to Himself and sent His only begotten, eternal, divine Son to suffer the wrath we deserve so that we might have His favor forever is inexplicably good news. And the only appropriate vertical response, the right response to God for what He's done for us in Christ, is nowhere more clearly stated, as far as I'm aware, in the entire Bible than Hebrews 13.15. Today's sermon title is Pronounce Your Praise. To put the sermon down into a sentence, I'll give it a shot, and then I will not let you go home. I will try to unpack it. 
the sermon in a sentence would sound something like this. If you are born again, if you've been made new, if you've been made alive in Christ, I'm using biblical phraseology, if you have been saved, if you are indeed a Christian, at salvation, here's the sermon in a sentence, at the moment of your justification, the nanosecond that you were converted, at salvation, God places you in Christ. And He makes magnificent promises to you so that through Jesus, you may ceaselessly use your voice which is tuned unlike any other instrument in all the universe to render praise unto God. At salvation, God places you in Christ. He makes magnificent promises to you. They would be too good to be true. We have grown so numb to the magnificent promises of God. They would be too good to be true if they were not inscripturated in God's holy Word. They are true. At salvation, God places you in Christ. He makes magnificent promises to you so that through Jesus, you may ceaselessly use your voice to render praise unto God. We could say it this way. In true salvation, God Himself is the beginning, the middle, and the end. We could say it this way. Salvation is all by God and all for God. I don't know how long it's been since you have given God thanks that He saved you primarily not for you, but for Him. There are several points I want to consider from verse 15. And I want you to look at it carefully as we unpack it. The first point is this. Get gripped by the therefore. I don't know how your translation renders it. I looked at six or eight different translations and they all said therefore except for one. It said then. Verse 15 begins with this phrase, through Him, my translation says then. Through Him, therefore. And the first point is simply get gripped by this therefore. I don't know if you've ever felt gripped or constrained before. I don't know if your older brother held you down and wouldn't let you go. Or if in a playful wrestling match, your dad wouldn't let you out of his arms. I'm saying get gripped. Feel constrained by this therefore. The logic of the text works like this. Because something has happened, therefore something should happen. Because your situation was very, very bad. And because none of the Old Testament sacrifices would suffice to pay for your sin, verses 9-11. through And because the Lord Jesus bled and died for your forgiveness at Calvary, verse 12. And because the God who has saved you has also promised that the best portion of your salvation is not what you're freed from, but what you're freed for. Namely, the kingdom of His Son in a celestial city for endless eternities. Verse 14, therefore. Get gripped by this. Our first point is simply get gripped by the therefore. And to conclude this first point, I want to give you an oh-so-loaded comment. Your first step in pronouncing your praise to God. Step number one, and you cannot take step number two or beyond unless you take this first step. Your first step in pronouncing your praise unto God is turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 12, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
Believing that He died and rose again to purchase your pardon and to bring you safely into God's family forever. The worst news in all the world for an unforgiven sinner is that God is holy. That's the worst news for an unforgiven sinner. How will you safely approach Him without turning into a puddle in His presence? Under His judgment. Unless you come through the only safe covering, which is the righteousness of Christ. You must be gripped by the therefore. The second point is, concerning the sermon title, pronounce your praise. The second point comes also from the beginning of verse 15. It is the avenue of praise to God. Once you're gripped by this therefore, once you're gripped by the realities of the Gospel, that verses 9-11, to there's nothing you could have done to save yourself. Verse 12, God did your salvation work all by Himself. And verse 14, all for Himself. Once you're gripped by this reality, we must understand the proper avenue, point two, of praise to God. Notice again those opening words of verse 15. Through Him, therefore. Through Him. Through Him. I don't know where your worship begins, and there's lots of helpful little acrostics. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Perhaps you use the model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Perhaps you use a different acrostic or model. And all those things are fine and well. But you know as well as I do, don't you? that it's not our formulaic systems that present us acceptably to God. It's not whether or not we got supplication before or after thanksgiving that causes God to hear us or not. You do know Isaiah 59 says, your sins have hidden God's face from you. Not so that He will not hear you, but so that He cannot hear you. The impediment between us and God is not whether or not we've got the right formulaic system down in our prayers. And you know that the Lord Jesus taught us, do not use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. It's not our eloquence. The best and wisest and most eloquent among us are like babbling babes in the presence of God. We do not come on our own merits or by our own systems or through our own righteousness. Through Him. The avenue of praise unto God is always and only through Him. Perhaps you know that praising God appropriately never begins with you. Ever. In fact, you have to have your eyes off of yourself before you can even begin to praise Him. As strange as it may sound to some of you, and I dare you to listen carefully because I say it precisely on purpose, as strange as it may sound to some of you, it is nonetheless true that it is actually sinful to attempt to praise God apart from approaching Him through Jesus Christ. There have been a lot of prayers offered already in this service. For some of you, it may be appropriate to ask forgiveness for praying in such a way. Many are not going to like this thought, but the truthfulness of it stands... Jesus and Jesus only is always the only way to God. In His own words, no one comes to the Father except through Me. When we come to God, we're supposed to come to Him in order to join Him in delighting in the very thing that delights His great soul. 
Namely, the reflection of His glory in the face of His Son. Through Him. Through Him. Let us understand that the avenue of all proper praise is the only mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. It's why I love our times of prayer together as a body. And oh, how I hope you participated in that moment, either verbally or silently in your heart. God sees our thoughts. I understand that. But this is precisely why I love our times of prayer together. By the way, this verse is written not to an individual Christian, but to a church. Let us then, through Him, let together us corporately go through the one avenue of praise unto God. I love our times of prayer together. Today's opportunity for those who are visiting with us, perhaps for dedication or or otherwise, today's opportunity was significantly abbreviated due to the joy of dedicating all these beautiful families to the Lord. But although the number of vocalized prayers were few during that moment we had just a little bit ago to seek God's face together, each of them, if true prayer, were a glorious exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow me here. Whether we use the words, we exalt you Jesus or not, Every true prayer is, and this is the reason that God loves our coming to Him so much. All true prayer, all true praise is an explicit exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if we truly approach the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, then we are admitted before God's throne on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. So whether we say it explicitly or not, all true access to God is bathed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me say it again. Prayer that doesn't end around Jesus, praise that doesn't end around Jesus, is actually sinful. Let me give you John Piper's definition of grace. John Piper says grace, and I agree with this, grace is the power of God to give sinners the right and the privilege to glorify God. That's not where it ends, but let me say that part again. Grace is the power of God. To give sinners the right and the privilege to glorify God, here it comes, without obscuring the glory of God. If you try to come to Him, apart from Jesus, you actually, quote, muddy His presence. Even our righteous deeds are filthy in His sight. The heavens are unclean in His sight. You must come through the pristine righteousness of the Lord Jesus, else every approach to Him is in and of itself sinful. Through Him, therefore. The avenue of praise to God. 1 Peter says this so clearly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Hear the Word of the Lord. And coming to Him, there it is, Coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5 Your sacrifice to God always must come through Jesus Christ. That's why we say around here, we exist to glorify God. Well, who's not going to say that? Muslims will say that. We exist to glorify God by treasuring Jesus 
Christ. God is glorified this way. Jesus is the only mediator between God and men. 1 Timothy 2. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to us through Jesus. Acts 13.38 Faith to believe the Gospel comes to you through Jesus Christ. Acts 3.16 We are saved from God's wrath through Jesus. Romans 5.9 We are reconciled to God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 God will judge the entire world through Him. Acts 17.31 John Calvin said about our verse, the author reminds us, Hebrews 13.15, through Him, the author reminds us that God cannot, this is, this is good old English, put on your thinking cap, the author reminds us that God cannot be really invoked by us and His name glorified except through Christ the Mediator. For it is He alone who sanctifies our lips which otherwise are unclean to sing the praises of God. And it is He who opens a way for our prayers, who performs the office of priest, presenting Himself before God in our name. That's why Jesus said, ask anything in My name. That is according to My character. In agreement with who I am and all that I've done for you. In My name. Come boldly. Hebrews 13 is teaching us the rich biblical truth that's expressed in so many places like Ephesians 2. Through Jesus, we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. 2 Corinthians 1.20 There's so many prepositions in this verse, it's hard to follow, but follow it. Through Jesus is our Amen to the glory of God through us. Through who? Yes. Through us, through Him, to God, Amen. 2 Corinthians 1.20 Colossians 3.17 We give thanks to Him uh, Pardon me. We give thanks through Him to God the Father. John Owen, whatever we tender unto God, give to God. Whatever we tender unto God and not by Christ, hath no other acceptance with Him than the sacrifice of Cain. The Lord Jesus is the avenue of God, all God-honoring praise. The Lord Jesus is the avenue of all God-honoring praise. Well, number three, not only get gripped by the therefore, the truth of the Gospel, not only the Lord Jesus as the avenue of all God-honoring praise, but number three, the occasion. The occasion of praise to God. Again, Hebrews 13.15. What occasion? At what point? Upon what circumstances? Let us through Him, therefore, continually, continually offer a sacrifice of praise. The question of our text is really this. If meaning since, because, if we don't need the temple sacrifices any longer, verses 9-11, through or we could say chapter 9 and 10, if we don't need all those Levitical priests anymore, if, Hebrews 7, 11 and following, if a new high priest, the Lord Jesus, changes the entire order of the covenantal system, if we don't need the Old Testament sacrifices, verses 9-11, through if you didn't wake up this morning and bring your goat or your turtle dove or your pigeon to Poplar Avenue to the synagogue in East Memphis before you came here, 
Why didn't you do that? If for thousands of years, people did that, if they wanted to render praise to God, if we no longer need the temple sacrifices, does any sacrifice remain? Yes. And that sacrifice ought to be offered not on the Sabbath day, not on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, not at the festival, festal feasts, but continually. You are to offer a sacrifice of praise. You are constantly to give thanks to the name of God. How often ought you offer praise to God? With what frequency? Always. Now, if you thought it was toe-stomping to suggest that your prayer can be sinful, you ain't heard nothing yet. <laughs> if at any moment of your life, you have failed, including right now, to obey God's clear command to render praise to Him continually and incessantly give thanks to Him, then not only what you have done in prayer apart from Jesus is sinful, what you have not done when you should have done it is equally sinful. Are you tracking with me? Dear friends, the beauty of the Gospel begins to shine in all its illustrious glory when you see that Jesus not only died for the sins that you have committed, but He also died for the negligent sinfulness of the things that you should have done. James 4.17 could not be more clear. To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him that is sin. Is it sin not to praise God continually? Yes. Yes. The greatest of all commandments is that you must, not that you should consider and think about, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. And if you fail to do that, you've committed the greatest sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ, look away from yourself and on to Him. Do you want the Gospel to shine again for you today? Look on to Christ who John 8.29 for you. He always did what pleased the Father. He always rendered praise to His Father. And having died for our negligence, so that we could be forgiven not only of the righteous things we have done. You cannot fit through the narrow gate holding all your good works. Not only did He die for your best deeds, He died for all the things that you should have done but didn't. And He filled up all righteousness having obeyed on your account and mine. He did, Hebrews 13.15, with all of His life. He always gave honor to the name of God. And now, if you are in Him, He also empowers His people to obey this clear command. In fact, in the heavenly city, one verse before this, Hebrews 13.14, we will forever continually praise God with every thought, every word, every deed. That's where we're headed. So verse 15 is saying, get some practice for glory. How can we continually praise God through Christ now? Right here, right now. I've said before, and I hope I never tire of saying, that some of the most sinful things that people can do is go through religious exercises. Daily devotions. Times of sincere religious thoughts. 
attendance at church services, those can be some of the most sinful things. Romans 14 says anything that does not come from faith is sin. Anything that doesn't go through Jesus to God is simple. So how can we continually praise God through Jesus Christ? The occasion of praise. How could it be continual? Well, that's why Brother Rick, sitting here on the front row, refers to this verse as the most important application verse for the church in the entire Bible. Is that overstatement? The most important application verse of the Gospel for the church in the entire Bible. Well, if there is a more important one, it's got to be tied for first. Because I can't think of it. Continually. How can our little heart be moved by great things that actually matter for eternity? So that we would become a Hebrews 13-15 kind of people rendering praise ceaselessly, incessantly to our great God. How can we become that kind of person? Well, Rick calls it the IEP approach. That we, in, that we investigate and examine and praise. That in all the Scripture, we begin to find these diamonds of Christ. And when we find them, we examine them carefully and we turn those around and around in prayer and praise, in request for God's help until ultimately those things become for us not academic or intellectual, but down deep in our affections they become catalysts and catapults for praise unto God, IEP. Augustine, the great church father, said if Christ is not valued above all, then He is not valued at all. How do we continually praise Him? Let's face it. Sometimes we've gotten bored, haven't we? Our frailty, our feebleness, our weakness. We're like the apostles who were in the Garden of Gethsemane. We keep falling asleep when we know that we should be engaged with our God in meaningful intercession. Or we're like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. We're weak. But congratulations. That's where the power of God rests. That's where God loves to show up. Do you want to become a Hebrews 13-15 person? Do you want to become that? Well, you need not only think about the avenue of praises Jesus and the occasion of praises continual, but you need to look at the fourth point from this verse. That is the instrument of praise to God. The verse tells us, doesn't it? Verse 15, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, which is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. The instrument of praise is your voice. And look, if you're the kind of person who feels like you're not good at prayer and praise, welcome to the club. If you're the kind of person who's crippled, truly crippled, by what other people may think about you, how you sound, what you do or don't say, and how you say it. And that's the enemy's playground for you. The verse tells us very clearly that God wants us to say something. And it's not only talking about your private devotion. In fact, as I've mentioned, this is a corporate verse. This letter, the whole thing, is written to a local church. We find that later in chapter 13. Greet your leaders. Obey your leaders. The church and those in Rome greet you. 
He's talking to a congregation. And learning to speak a language is difficult for everybody. I don't know if you noticed that beautiful smattering of families that was standing up here a moment ago. But with a few exceptions, there's 13 names listed. There were 15 children present for the dedication, including their siblings. But out of those 15, precious few of those can utter more than 8 or 10 words. Their entire vocabulary is limited, most of them, to zero words. Learning to speak a language is difficult for everybody. It takes time. The children that were dedicated today, the grandparents who have traveled long distances to be part of this joyous occasion, have ood and odd and cooed and wooed and spoken little baby gibberish over every one of those little lies. And not one time have they responded, most of them so far, with an intelligible word. Although they hear mom and dad speaking over them and around them all the time, they're around language constantly. Let's be honest. Let's get out of churchy world and preachy world and get into real life authenticity, honest vulnerability before God world. If you've ever gotten bored in your times of trying to praise God, or maybe you'd be more willing to answer, yes, that's me, if I say it this way. Have you ever run out of things to say? Have you ever exhausted your vocabulary? And you don't know how to praise anymore and you feel like God is fed up with your recycling of phrases. Then exercise that atrophied muscle. You must do this. Verse 15 is a command. Like these children, we all need to understand that the fruit of our lips, giving praise to God, is a sound in which He takes delight. He's the one telling us to praise Him with the fruit of our lips. Your voice is an instrument tuned unlike any other voice in all the universe. You know that the far off galaxies are making noise. They're singing songs, right? Our telescopes point to them. The microphones attach to them. Send back signals to us of these beautiful sounds. These harmonious, almost complete orchestra sounding sounds. But that sound cannot do into the ears of your Creator what your little voice can do. And your voice is tuned specifically on the dial of God's creativity to a frequency that no other voice in all the universe is tuned to. And God takes delight in your praise. If that doesn't fill up your bucket, I have no idea what will. God wants to hear you. He loves to hear your voice. And if somebody's going to judge you for the way you sound, or don't sound, or what you do say or don't say, fie on them. Who cares? God delights in your praise. Your voice is an instrument that's tuned unlike any other, able to render unto God a special note of praise. Do not withhold from God the worship that He deserves from your voice. Have you ever seen somebody we all have with so much potential that went to waste? They never use or utilize or exercise or expand upon their God-given abilities to do what they could have done. In far worse capacity, and with gospel grace, not legal guilt. I say that's what a voice is like that remains illiterate in the glories of Christ. Set your mind to action. The instrument of praise to God in verse 15 is your lips. And this does not eliminate our mute and deaf brothers and sisters. 
It's your voice. It's your praise. It's your personal expression of worship. And yes, the verse says, fruit of lips. But oh, some of the most beautiful sounds I have heard, and no doubt our God has heard, is like my deaf cousin who mumbles phrases that you and I wouldn't understand, but I believe are in perfect harmony with Romans chapter 8, the deep things of God, the Holy Spirit interceding for us with groans that are too deep for words. Set your mind to action. Learn what it means that the Lord Jesus is all that Scripture calls Him, and you will never run out of things to praise Him for. Identify, examine, and praise. Have you specifically learned, here's how to get atrophied muscles exercised. Have you learned to identify and examine the Lord Jesus Christ as your advocate? That every time you praise, every time you pray, the Lord Jesus is saying, Father, on my behalf, accept Him. On the account of my righteousness, accept her. He cleanses our holy things so that they'll be acceptable. He is your advocate. Not only have you learned to examine and identify Him that way, but have you learned to praise Him for His ongoing work of mediator for you? Or the fact that He is right now the captain of your salvation. Or that He became the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Or as Scripture identifies Him, that He is your friend. Closer than a brother. That He is your hope of glory. And that He is the image of the invisible God. The living bread. The resurrection and the life. Your sacrifice. Your sanctification. Your Savior. Have you learned to take the diamond of His illustrious beauty and give God praise? through your lips. The way you would say it. The way you articulate it. God loves this. Every glorious aspect of Christ ought to be brought back to God in never-ceasing praise. Hebrews 13.15 is actually, like every verse in the book of Hebrews, thinking of an Old Testament verse. And in this verse, Hebrews 13.15 is leaning back into Hosea. What a book. What a book to lean into. What a gospel portrait of God's love for the least deserving. In Hebrews 14, uh, pardon me, Hosea 14, hear this. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all our iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. That's what Hebrews is about. Jesus said, your mouth speaks from what fills your heart. Newsflash, you're praising something or someone all the time. Why don't you take your voice box and consecrate it to God Almighty and learn to offer through the instrument of your voice praise to our God. That's the instrument of praise, but finally the verse shows us the object of true praise. I mentioned earlier that salvation is not primarily for you, but for God, and this verse could not make it more clear. Verse 15, it ends this way, giving thanks to His name. Giving thanks to His name. God is the object of our praise. 
You know that in Scripture, names are significant and God's name is most significant. His name, as I mentioned earlier about praying in Jesus' name, God's name represents His character. It tells us who He is and what He's like. You see, we're all born with wrong views about God. And our job is not to improve upon our deficient views until finally we arrive at what God is really like. Our job is to repent from our deficient views and submit ourselves to who God tells us that He is. And as we learn who He is through His name, through His actions, the verse says very clearly, give thanks. Thank Him that that's what He's really like. Bedrock, immutable, unmovable. Verse 8 of our chapter, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He will never cease to be as He has ever been. Praise His name for who He is. The object of our praise is God. We say around here, God saves us all by Himself. And He saves us all for Himself. Your soul will never be more satisfied than when God is most central in your heart's affection. So the psalmist said it this way, God, I pray that You'll stab us with this verse in a glorious way. Psalm 9, those who know Your name will put their trust in You. Do you have a hard time trusting God? You riddled with anxiety and fear? Do you lack assurance? Are you a scared little child, spiritually speaking? Those who know your name will put their trust in you. How can you not stand on a rock when the tide of life comes at you? But if you know the rock is there, you will not be moved. The name, the name, the name. Get to know His name. God's name reveals His character. And through His name, God explains to us who He is. How could we not praise His name? Rendering praise to God through Jesus Christ with our lips is the antidote to wasting our life. Now friends, the fruit of lips. I know partially the way the enemy likes to work in sermons like this. I could never do that publicly. That's just not who I am. Well, friends, we worship our way into sin and we worship our way out of sin. The only way to obey this verse is not willpower. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. That's not what God's calling us to. You worship your way into sin. Anything you prefer over Christ and indulge in, to you that is sin. And you go to those things because they promise to give you some satisfaction that you in the moment believe Christ cannot provide. So you go to those things. And C.S. Lewis said, we're always worshiping. We're always praising. Walkers praise the countryside. Bird watchers praise the birds. Sports fanatics praise their favorite team. We build big monuments called stadiums to our favorite, favorite players and, and teams. We worship at the altar of food, at our favorite restaurants. We're always praising. We're, telling, we're advertising all the time. You're the best marketing agent that so-and-so company has. You're telling everybody what you love. You're telling everybody what you want. And in the secret recesses of private, you're going after things that you think will satisfy. You worship your way into sin. And friends, you worship your way out of sin. I could never... Doesn't belong in the categories of Christendom. Jesus is belongs in the category of Christendom. 
God loves to inhabit the praises of His people. Psalm 22. And God loves to draw near to those that draw near to Him. James 4. We could go on and on again. Do you want the presence of God more than you want anything else? I promise you verse 14 people want that. The celestial city that we seek that is to come. Well friends, the avenue of praise is Jesus. The occasion of praise is always. The instrument of praise is your voice, your lips, your words, your way. And the object of praise is God Himself. This is what a person looks like who's been gripped by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about second tier super spirituality. We're not talking about elite Christianity. We're talking about people who have been gripped by the Gospel. This is not only what their life will look like for time, this is what their life will look like for eternity in the city which is to come. Verse 14, this verse all hinges on the Gospel because Jesus became the sacrifice necessary for us to know and enjoy God our sacrifices are no longer carnal. I know why you didn't stop by the synagogue on your way here today. Because our sacrifices are now spiritual. They're not animals, but they're the fruit of our lips that give praise to His name and thank, thankfulness for who He is and all that He's done for us. Is this verse, Hebrews 13-15, not so almost mirror image similar to Romans 12? Therefore, brothers, Romans 12.1 In view of God's mercy, because of the cross, because of a righteousness alien to you, given to you on the basis of faith in who Jesus is and what He's done for you. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, what do you do? Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. This is what it looks like to be gripped by the Gospel. So I agree with my brother Rick sitting here on the front row. There are many, many, many wonderful applications of the Gospel, but there cannot be a more comprehensive, one-verse, crystallized, condensed, compacted avenue and concrete bedrock for truth of how we should live in light of the Gospel as an individual and as a local church than this verse. There's so many wonderful applications, but Grace Church, what would it look like? Use your sanctified imagination. What would it look like if, and we'll close this way, through Jesus therefore, we continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Giving thanks for all that He is for us and all that He's done for us underneath the great banner of His glorious name. What would that look like? Well, I sure would like to find out. Father, I ask that You would cause us to respond to the great truth of the Gospel with a life and lips full of praise. And we trust that when this weary life is over, You will usher us by Your Spirit into glories unspeakable where this verse will not only be an eternal command, but it will be our great moment-by-moment delight. Oh Lord, cause us, truly cause us, to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to Your name. We ask this for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.